I would recommend that you share with someone as the Lord touched you today, that you would tell somebody. I just want to tell somebody. It, so, it seals it. It's let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It does. So if you would go to someone and say, hey, I, you know, I just really sense God's presence in my life, that would be a wonderful thing you ought to do, and I recommend you do it. I want to welcome everybody on uh, live stream today, back home wherever you are, and to all of us here today, I welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> today is July 4th, Independence, 245 years ago, uh, July 4th, 1776. You know, I, I want to talk about our country, but I do that often. I already did a little bit this morning. But I, I wanted to go through some of the quotes that came out of the American Revolution back in 1775 and 1776. You would all, re, all remember this quote, give me liberty or give me death. And then, uh, let me see, I'll just go down to it. It said, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. And that was said by Patrick Henry. You all knew that, but this is not a quiz this morning on U.S. history. Men, you're all marksmen. Don't one of you fire until you see the whites of their eyes, then fire low. I had to think about that one. I, okay. <laughs> and that was by Israel Putnam. And was repeated by Colonel Prescott to the man, June 1775 at Bunker Hill. Thomas Jefferson said, all men are created equal and have the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And he said that in the Declaration of Independence. Benjamin Franklin, at the signing of the Declaration of Independence, July 4, 1776, says, we must all hang together, or assuredly, we shall all hang separately. How's that for a good quote? And we're all going to do this together. We're all going to die individually. We're going to die. And then John Hancock, that famous signer John Hancock here, and if you've seen a copy of that, you see his, his handwriting is pretty big, John Hancock, but he quotes this. He said, there, I guess King George will be able to read that, he said. It's possibly a misquote, they said, but legend has it. He said this or something like that, which is why his signature is so big on, on that, that uh, paper. One copy was sent to George, King George, but it wasn't until August 2nd that the 56 men signed a new copy of that, including John Hancock. Nathan Hale said, I, have only, the, I only regret that I have been one life to lose for my country. Thomas Paine, these are the times that try men's souls. And John Paul Jones, I have not yet begun to fight I think of all those uh, men and their desire and their faith to press on because what they did in that circumstance they found themselves beginning of the year before 1775, they began to resist against the conflict that they found themselves in. Increasing demands being placed on the colonists and the 13 colonies and they said we have got to do something about this and they made choices. A choice that said for the next seven years they fought until 1783. I came across this early this morning. Someone put on their Facebook. It says, by uh, signing the Declaration of Independence, the 56 Americans pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. It was no idle pledge. 
Nine signers died of wounds during the Revolutionary War. Five were captured or imprisoned. Wives and children were killed, jailed, mistreated, or left penniless. Twelve of the signers' houses were burnt to the ground. Seventeen lost everything they owned. No signer defected their honor and, like their nation, remained intact. Now, I could preach that because it talks about the will to go on, and particularly when we get into the spiritual dimensions of doing that, that we press on, that we make decisions that we're going on with life. And I do want to address, and I try to do it often because that's how I'm wired, is how do I live this right now? How do I walk this? How do I confront and stand in this day, these troubled days that we live in? When we see all the end times things happening, the persecution that's beginning and is so much uh, a part of different aspects of our country and our life. There's so much of life is life, isn't it? It just happens. Your AC malfunctions. You've got to buy groceries and it costs you more. Your job security. You're trying to raise children. You're both aging and having to answer questions, what do I do with our aging parents? Finances, relationships. So I can talk a lot about situations that create conflicts, which require choices, which produce consequences. But this morning, I want to do something maybe a little different that I don't think I've done very often in all the years that I've pastored here. Because I really want to talk to you about the ultimate consequences of choice that we make. Take your Bibles, and I hope you have a Bible this morning. If not, I hope you have a piece of paper and a pencil. I, I don't recommend writing it on your hand. My mom always told us, you write that on your hand and you're going to get poisoned. So anytime you wrote the answers on your hand, you were poisoned in your skin and for cheating. So don't write that on your hand. <laughs> Don't write on your hand. Find a piece of paper. If not, write on your neighbor's shirt if it's light enough. That's fine. I don't care. But you're going to, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, a lot of things, because the Bible has a lot to say about what we're going to go into this morning. But I want you to grab hold of this this morning. So I don't apologize for it, but I'm going to go through the Bible a lot. John 17 is the first scripture I want to look at. John 17 in verse 3. Jesus, uh, this is his prayer to the Father, very intimate prayer. But he said, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I want to begin a very familiar, very, very familiar verse, but I want to go on. Verse 16, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. It will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. 
But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. I think all of us get what I've been talking about these last weeks is C plus C plus C plus C equals C. You got that down, I think. And we pay a lot of attention to that. But in this, I want you to understand that man ultimately has a choice. He has within his grasp the ability to choose his eternal destiny. I think we have to understand that you can choose life. He said, men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. But the one who does fear the Lord, and they come to the light to find and know that they're doing it in the sight of God. We've seen in the past weeks talking about the circumstances of life, the trials, the testings, things that come to us. We talked about the conflicts that, that circumstances create. We talked about good conflict because good f conflict is one of those things that bring to light things that need to be dealt with. And we can deal with those in terms of it reveals our hearts, it reveals our attitude, it reveals things, and can lead us to a better understanding of ourselves and others in our relationships and our marriages, in things where we're working. Because this conflict brought something to light that can result in a better result, or can come about a better result. And we also know, and we talked about, that sometimes the conflict is bad. It results in wars. It revol result, results in, and revolves to, to discipline or uh, division or things that are cut off, things that, that are evil desires. It's bad sometimes that the conflict results. And all these conflicts do require a choice. That's what we've talked about. And we looked at the power of those choices. We've talked about the need to make good choices. And the fact that God has given man choices. Even from the beginning of creation, he said, don't eat of this tree. You can eat of all that. But man chose to disobey God. He says it over and over again in the scripture. Choose you this day whom you will serve. I present you life and death, blessing and curses. Choose life. God gives us choices, and each choice will produce a consequence, a result of what our choices are. Now, most of the application that I bring has to do with, uh, and discussion has to do with pertaining to life right now. Living here, living with relationships, living with one another, living where you work, how that works out, how you handle decisions. And it's really learning how to live in the presence of God, all that God gives us for godliness, pertaining to godliness. And, and I want us to continue to go that, that how we live in God or how we live in our own will and how that ends up. And we looked at Samson and Jonah and David, and uh, we looked at all those lives, Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to go to Joel chapter 3. Joel, now this is in your older covenant, the Old Testament. If you go to Ezekiel and Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Amos, Hosea, and Joel. Joel chapter 3. That's going to be a little hard one to find. Your pages might be stuck together in your Bible, or your, your iPad, or your iPhone, or phone, whatever, might cough at that. <coughs> I don't know where Joel is. You've got to tell it. There's, there's where you go. Go to Joel. Joel chapter 3, and verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision... For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the heavens will tremble. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, 
a stronghold for the people of Israel. Then you'll know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. Prophetically, Joel says and points out the reality of today. Multitudes are in the valley of decision. People are facing decisions. And I'm not just talking about what they're going to have for lunch kind of decisions. I'm talking about the ultimate, most demanding question that any man or woman will ever face is this one. Where will you spend eternity? What will your choice be? You know, people push that question away. Oh, I'll think about that later. Uh, it's all wild religious stuff that comes, and they, all they do is give you that question or that thing in order to control your life somehow, to say that there's some else and heaven or hell, I don't know. And yet, every one of us, every person, will be faced with the result of that choice they made in this life and will endure an eternity of either blessing and glory or re regret and punishment for eternity, forever. Go to Luke chapter 12. I'll quote you Hebrews 9.27. We'll go to Luke chapter 12. Hebrews 9.27 says it very clearly. It has been appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Again, I can get so wrapped up in what we're going to eat and where we're going to go and how we're going to vacate and how we're going to mow the grass and what about getting gas and how we're going to... I can get all caught up with that and ignore and hope that that issue goes away. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man once to die. We're going to leave this world as we know it. And after that comes something else, the judgment. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse... 16, Jesus gives a story, a parable. Verse 16, the ground of a certain man, rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. There's coming a day. All of us are going to face it. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is talking again about a parable about when the Son of Man comes in his glory. Verse 31. Matthew 25, 31. And all the angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. Now, I'm not, I don't want to read the whole passage, but he brings them in front of him, and there's a judgment seat shown. But for lack of time, I want to go to the last verse, verse 46. Then they, meaning those that, that did not do what he said in this judgment seat, in scene, he said, then they will go to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. He said there's a separation, the righteous and the wicked. 
The wicked, they're going to go to eternal punishment, righteous to eternal life. Well, let me give you a couple other scriptures. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3 and 4, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. There's reward there for the righteous. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. I'm sorry, verse chapter 20. I'm sorry. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. Revelation 20, verse 11. The Apostle John, as he saw the revelation of Jesus and all that was taking place, gets to verse 11. He said, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded into the books, in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, dead, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And every person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. I'm talking about hell. I'm talking about the ultimate choice of hell or heaven. We don't talk much about that. We don't talk about the reality of an eternity of heaven or hell. And our choice for that. Let's go to Isaiah 66. What is hell like? What's that word mean? Or how, what does it look like? And how, what is, you know, people use the word hell in language. They use it all the time. What the blank? What, you know, double H-E, double toothpicks or whatever kind of euphemisms people try to use about it. Because it's a common word. Not understanding and realizing that it is a definite place away from the presence of God. It is hell. What do, we, what do people say? I, you know, I'm, in my work world, they say, oh man, that job was hell. But that, my boss is hell. I'm, they have no idea what they're saying. But it's a word that's in our vocabulary as a country, English language, that we have. And even in the church, we don't understand what that looks like. That's why I'm saying it this morning. Isaiah 66, verse 24. And they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me, says the Lord, declares the Lord. Those who rebelled against me, the worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched and they will be loathsome to all mankind. Write Mark chapter 9, verse 47 and 48, because Jesus, in his ministry, quotes those same words from Isaiah. So what's hell like? Second Thessalonians chapter 1. What is it like? Anytime people ask me, well, Pastor, what, what are you talking about? What, what hell is going to look like? This, to me, is one of the most, um, I'm not going to say drastic, but I am going to say it's impactful, the most devastating, 
the, the worst terminology that can be used to describe it? You might not think so, but for me, this is the worst. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Because God is just, he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That's the phrase. Let me finish the verse. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Away and shut out, separated from the presence of God and his glory forever. You can say, well, so what? I don't like God and I've never been around God. Why would I miss him? What would that be? My whole life I've lived my own. What's the big deal about away from his presence? Listen, it's going to be a separation from every good thing you have ever known or experienced in your life, saved or unsaved. Now, saved, you're going to be with the Lord, but unsaved, if you didn't meet the Lord until you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s, even as a young person, all the good things that God has blessed this earth with, you will be away from that, from his presence on earth. Many of the most beautiful pictures I've seen painted or photographed or seen have been done by ungodly people. And they love it too. There's joy there. There's something to look at creation and say, well, look at that flower. It's so beautiful. And they don't know God. They're not giving God glory. But even that feeling, that sense of wonder and glory is going to be gone because God is not there any longer. He created this world. He made it. To me, that's the most, the most frightening thing in my life. That if I re had rejected Jesus, I'm separated from him. The Bible says that God reigns on the just and the unjust. But what if God is removed or you're removed from God? You have nothing. You're away from him. There's no joy. There's no beauty. There's no peace. It's all gone. And listen, that's beyond a lot of my understanding. But people who are destined for an eternity, they're going to be destined away from the presence of God forever. I don't think our world understands the fact that God is and his beauty is. And his creation declares his glory. What happens when all that's gone? It's away from him forever. The second thing that I want to say, Matthew chapter 22. Let's go back to Matthew 22. It is referred to as utter darkness. Matthew 22, verse 13. Then the king told the attendants, take him out hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness 
where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That was a description of not being invited, not being part of coming into the presence of God. And in Judgment Day, take him out while there be utter darkness, a total disassociation with everyone and everything, totally alone and separated. Through all my life, and many of you too, you've talked to people with the gospel, and you tell them about the Lord Jesus, and you tell them about the consequences of heaven and hell. And I said, forget hell. Hey, when I go there, all my buddies are going to be there. We're going to have one great, great time. It's going to be awesome. No rules. We'll be able to do anything we want. Listen, that's a lie. They're not going to be, it's going to be utterly dark. I think some of us have been in caves, spelunking, where they go down, and the guide says, now, in just a moment, we're going to extinguish every light, every one of them. No phones, no flashlights, nothing. If you've ever been there, it seems like we're going to do it for like 10 seconds and you think it is an eternity because it is absolute dark. No light at all. And your eyes are scrambling trying to find something reflecting some light. And then comes a light. Oh, good. Can you imagine utter darkness? I can't. What would that be? That means I have no contact. I have no one around. I can't, I'm totally separated from God due to my own choice. Totally receiving all the consequences of other people and experience in life and relationships. That's what the Bible talks about. Turn over a page to 2530. Matthew 25, verse 30. Again, he uses those terms. Uh, again, and Jesus said, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Number three, there's horrendous, unimaginable thoughts and conditions. I'm going to give you a quick list. It will be eternal, unquenchable fire. Matthew 18, you're in Matthew, go back a couple chapters to 18, verse 8 and 9. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed and crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. 2 Peter 3.7 says a very similar thing. Eternal fire. You, are you reading that in the red letter edition? Do you know that Jesus is saying these words? We love to get the blessing words of Jesus, the wonderful words of Jesus, the blessings and, and all that. And, and, and you can qualify for that. You can receive all that, but we can't erase this part out of the words of our Lord and Savior, our Redeemer, because he tells us the truth. You can't... Nobody take out a black magic marker and scratch that out. I don't want to hear about eternal fire. But Jesus said it. He said, this is what there's going to be. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. I told you I was going to go all over the place, but Daniel chapter 12, in the book of Daniel, verse 2. He said, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. 
there is everlasting contempt and shame away from the presence of God. It's eternal torment. Revelation 14. I hope you're writing these down because I'm giving you a lot. Revelation 14 and verse 10. They too will drink of the wine of God's fury which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. Tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels. Eternal torment. Eternal punishment has already been referenced in Matthew 25. You'll go away to eternal punishment, righteous to eternal life. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19 says everlasting destruction. I've already read Isaiah 66, 24. It says where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Go to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. What is hell like? Chapter 20. It is a place of retribution, a punishment that is in proportion to the evil that was done. Revelation chapter 20, verse 13. We read this one already. But 13 says, The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. According to what they had done. 22.12, we read that one before too. And it says, uh, 22.12, I will give, look, I'm coming soon, says the Lord. My reward is with me. I'll give to each person according to what they have done. Now, that's a reality. That is what we don't want to experience. But that is the consequence of choosing to go away from God, to stay away from God. But there is another reality. There's a wonderful reality that God, knowing our, the consequences of our disobedience, he's provided a way to save man from these horrible acts. And he did it by sending his son Jesus on the cross. Matthew 25, I didn't read this verse. Verse 41. God never intended hell for man. It wasn't in his, hell was not prepared for me. Matthew 25, verse 1, it says that, that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. But when man decides, when man decides to reject Jesus, that's where they go as well. When man decides to turn away from the grace that God offers, when God cries out, come unto me. Come and be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God has offered life. Jesus died on the cross to demonstrate not only his love and mercy to bring forgiveness. But I don't know if you're aware of that. And I, had, I don't think much about this one. But when Jesus was on the cross, the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When Jesus died on the cross, he took on him, became the sin of mankind. Every cell in his body became sin. Every heartbeat that he had on those remaining hours on the cross became sin. He revealed the awfulness of sin on the cross. 
And in that, he said, the price will be paid for this sin when my blood flows out. Jesus died on the cross to extend the mercies of God. You see, God is not willing that any should perish. 2 Peter 3, 9. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's God's heart. That's his desire. I was interested in this quote by C.S. Lewis who said this. There are only two kinds of people in all the universe. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those who God ultimately will say, thy will be done. Think about it. Circumstances create conflict. Conflict requires a choice. And that choice will determine the consequence. It's going to produce a consequence. This is the ultimate. First John, go to First John, because there's another reality we have to talk about. There's a wonderful reality that we can talk about. First John chapter 5, and this is the gospel message that we can give to people. We can experience 1 John 5.11, and this is a testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The reality of heaven. Listen, heaven is not Disneyland on steroids. Oh, it's another big ride. Woo! Heaven! What a great place that's going to be. Oh, yeah. We'll get to have fun and play. Could I also say it is not an eternal family reunion? Now, let me explain if I've heard this once. And I understand. I, I'll probably say the same thing, and I've had, I have said the same thing. But it's not the whole truth. Dad's waiting for me at heaven. Someday I'm going to see Dad. Some of you say, I'm going to see my mom. I'm going to see Grandma. I'm going to see her baby that died at birth. I'm going to see. And we, when we look at heaven as a reunion of family, and that's going to be wonderful because it would be a family that's not fighting over anything. I don't know about your family, but some of the things we have to deal with before we all get there. Now, Mom, if you're listening, I'm not talking about you. I love you. <laughs> or any of my other siblings who happen to be sitting near Mom listening to this right now. But you know what I'm talking about, people, right? We think about family. And when they pass away, when they die, when they go on to their eternal destiny, and they go on to be with the Lord, we say, I can't wait to see them again. It's going to be wonderful. For how long? Eternity? We're going to have picnics and reunions with our family for eternity? I don't know what kind of heaven that is, but I do know what the Bible says about heaven. I do know what it is, the reality of what it is. John 14, chapter, uh, John chapter 14, 2 and 3, you know this scripture. He said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms that were not so, I would have told you. I go there, prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. You know the way the place I'm going and they have that conversation. But here's the thing. What's it going to be like? It's a prepared place to be in his presence. 
to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus, what I imagine will happen when I die and I look for dad or maybe mom or whatever, or whoever, whomever, is I'm going to get at the gates, whatever that looks like. I'm just imagining this. I'm going to get there. I'm going to say, there, what are they doing? They're looking at Jesus. They're not hovering over the edge of, of, of heaven looking down and saying, I can't wait till you get here. They are occupied with the, the one their soul loves. You and I are going to be occupied with the Lord Jesus. He said, I want you to be where I am in my presence. It's where he is. Acts chapter 7, 56, Stephen is dying. He's being stoned to death for his faith. And he looks up into heaven, and who does he see? I see Jesus. It's a place. It's a person. It's personal. Listen, heaven's big enough to handle all this, by the way. Heaven is big enough to handle every individual, every person who's ever been born and conceived on this earth because it was placed there for all of God's created people, his wonderful man and woman that he created and all the families of the earth, all there. So there's room in my place. are many mansions. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. Where is it? Make sure I got the right verse here. Hebrews chapter 10, 34. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. It's going to be a better place. A better place. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. Instead, they, meaning the people of faith, were longing for a better, better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You and I pray this many times as people growing up. We don't pray it often here as a public prayer. But many of us have prayed the Lord's Prayer because heaven has a purpose. How will be your name? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth. Where? As it is in heaven. Heaven is a place that has purpose. It is an ideal purpose. It is a flawless purpose. It is the supreme will of God being functioning in the heavenly realms with him. That's why we pray, may they come here. What's the contrast? The contrast is hell. A place of isolation, separation, anguish. Heaven is a meaning-filled place of activity and service. It's service for the redeemed. We're going to be with him forever. Ephesians 2, 7, we have the exceeding riches of his grace set up and held for us for ages to come. 1 Peter chapter 1. It's a place of inheritance and a reward. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4. I'll start verse 3. Praise for the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven 
for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you rejoice. There's rejoicing here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Great is your reward in heaven. Heaven is going to be a place of beauty and splendor and glory and joy and light. Everything about heaven is good. In fact, the new heaven and new earth, there's no need of sun and moon because there's going to be light, the light of the Father. The light of the sun is shining brightly. It's going to be a bright place, not utter darkness, but a bright place. Go to Revelation chapter 21. Can I say this about heaven as well? This is hope, church. This is why we live in anticipation of the return of the Lord, that every mark of sin, Satan, and evil will be removed from God's destined place for us. What do I mean? And I'm going to read here in a minute in Revelation chapter 21. I don't know about you. Yes, I do, because we're all the same. We have in our bodies the marks and effects, whether it's in our psyche, our soul, our mind, even in our body, the marks of sin that has been in this earth. Many of us can go back and say, oh, if only you knew what, that, what happened to me when I was six or 21 and I've got a scar to show it, but I've got a deeper scar in my heart. Can you imagine when all that is going to be gone and taken away from you because God says, I'll take it away from you? Every mark of sin. We live in an in a earth that's been marred by sin. Look at, look at Revelation 21.1. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This particular passage always affects me. Because God says himself, the throne says, God himself will come and leave his throne and come to my place. And I'm standing before him and I've got tears and I've got stuff in my life and I know what I've done. I know what's been done to me. And he comes and he said, Jim, let me wipe away your tears. I'm not giving this to my angels to do. I'm not going to assign this to a group of people somewhere, some servants of mine. Guys, get the Kleenex, take care of the tears. It says that God himself is going to come and stand right where I am, close enough to take his hands, whatever cloth that is going to be, and he's going to wipe away every one of your tears. Every one. The tears of regret, the tears of hurt, the tears of remorse, the tears that said, oh God, I can't live another day. He said, I'm going to take that stain away from you. 
because I'm making all things new. That's heaven. It's a place of personal identity. Jesus talked about the rich man and Lazarus. They had names. Their names were there. Moses and Elijah appeared at the transfiguration. Jesus, after the resurrection, he was recognized by his disciples. You're in Revelation chapter 20. I want you to go back up to 11. I mean, I'm sorry, 20, chapter 20, verse 11. It says those who are named... Uh, let me see. Uh, okay, the books were on verse 12. The books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what was done and recorded in that book. Anyone, verse, down to verse 15, whose name was not found written in the book of life. The book of life. Philippians chapter 4, verse 3 talks about your names written down. It's a personal deal. Your name written down. Your name written down in the Lamb's book of life. You see, names signify identity and personality and who I am. That's my name. But you see, there's a name written down. My prayer this morning, Deuteronomy 30:19. I said before you, life and death. This is the ultimate choice of everything I've talked about. Sure, there's other choices that we're going to make, and they're going to have consequences, and we need to know that. But this one is what are you going to do with Jesus? What is our message that we give to a dying world? That there's heaven and there's hell. You can be with Jesus. For, you can have life everlasting. Or you can go into utter darkness. What a contrast. But we need to be reminded, church, that's a choice. If you have made that choice and you belong to the Lord Jesus, my question to you and me, myself, do I anticipate heaven? Or are my claws so grabbed hold of this earth that they said, God, I don't want to go? Maybe it's my age. Maybe it's my experience. Maybe it's just where I am with my walk with the Lord. I said, Lord, my hands are free. I say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want to be with you. I want to be with you forever. I want to walk in everything you purpose for me. Everything. I want to do it now. But I want to come to be in your presence forever. Church, what's your choice? If you're here this morning and you have never accepted the Lord Jesus, you say, well, I'll do that someday, but not today. Let me just appeal to you because the Father draws you. If you feel him drawing, would you open up your heart to receive him? Would you open up your heart to say, Lord, I, I don't want to go to hell. I remember my day. Some of you will remember yours. Some was a process that you came to. But the choice needs to be made. You might pray a prayer like this. And I'm just asking everybody, just bow your heads. Dear Father in heaven, I admit that I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and sins. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he paid for all my sins with his blood on the cross. I call on his name to save me. I now receive his life. 
I believe Jesus is living in me, that I'm forgiven, and now I'm a Christian. Because of this free gift of eternal life, I'll go to be with Jesus when I die. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Receive that and say that prayer. I open my heart to you, Lord Jesus. Come into my life. Now, brothers and sisters, while we do business with God, and you know the Lord, would you align your heart? Colossians says, set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. Set your mind where it belongs, to heaven, the joy and the hope of heaven. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Worship team, come in this moment of of quiet worship team, would you come as we all stand together and pray this prayer. Just stand before him. Holy Spirit of God, just continue to move in our hearts. Lord, thank you for your love, your precious love for each one of us and the hope, the hope that we have in you. We anticipate your coming. We say, Lord, we want to be with you. We want to see you face to face. Now just breathe on us, Lord. Just breathe by your Holy Spirit upon every person here today. And Lord, even as we talk with people, may we give the gospel the important, the most important message we could ever give is that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose again the third day, forgiving our sins, setting us free. This day, Lord, our country has given us a political freedom, things we enjoy, but there's no one who can free our hearts like you, freeing us from sin and death and hell. Thank you. Let's sing as this closing prayer. On me, breath of God, 